0: Hi, I'm Robert Petkoff, and you're listening to The Greatest Discovery on Maximum Fun. Captain! Not here. Captain! Report. Yeah. Signature's detected. Shields up. Yeah. Signature's detected. Context staff lead command. What's happening? C- context command to command they lay that order context safety command this is the captain context safety command get out of my chair 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 chair, chair. we have engaged the konans the konans
1: konans welcome to the greatest discovery it's a new star trek podcast from the makers of the greatest generation i'm ben harrison
2: i'm adam pranica
1: Coming up a little later in the show, we've got a great interview for you with Robert Petkov, the reader of Star Trek, Colin Picard, colon The Dark Vale. But first, we always love to open the show with what we like to call a Marin Open.
2: <laughs> I feel like we're both really up in our heads about uh, sounding professional, using <laughs> correct, correct pronunciations. Yes, our we're, words. we're
1: up in our heads about using correct pronunciations, Adam. Hey,
2: <laughs> uh, it was so much fun to do the interview and also like realize utterly what a non-audio professional I am. How yeah. how terrible an instrument this voice <laughs> is and serving me in in this way.
1: Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit but uh we're also gonna like recap the book to whatever extent right. we can this was uh this was a fun one it's another one of those books that is I guess set like before the events of season one of the show so
2: of the Picard show
1: right so so it's not connective tissue between seasons one and two and I haven't heard any news about season two I mean I know that it's Ago, but it doesn't sound like they're filming it right now,
2: yeah I don't know if they're in production at this point,
1: yeah it could be a long wait for that season I was just thinking the other day about how peace Stu is like I mean he's an old man and there was some some talk of it being like hard for him as as an old to like do a full production day in the way that you know
2: pipes only go so far right I mean,
1: he did seven Seven years of uh, of TNG and and those those sets like they're th- like when you hear people talk about like what it was like to shoot on TNG and Deep Space Nine and stuff like they they worked long days and
2: well Patrick Stewart campaigned hard to to become a golem because he knew that the golems needed like a eighteen hour rest cycle <laughs> like as things so a lot of. A lot of what he does on the show, I think, is just going to be him plugged into some chair uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, and charging. Yeah. How many,
1: how many seasons do you think we get of that show?
2: I think one of the, like, inspiring takeaways from Picard and its production was, like, how energized Patrick Stewart was about doing it. Yeah. And I think his comments about the project went something like, I'll do it as long as it's still fun. So, I... I hope that means we get several more seasons, and mm-hmm. I and I hope the show doesn't end because of his inability to do it anymore versus uh, a choice, you know?
1: Yeah. I wonder if they'll do it like uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, where, like, if he has an idea for a season... <laughs> they put it put the band back together
2: the patak chicken episode is going to be uh, a real barn burner on the next season of picard
3: this is great this is a great place for warriors to bring
1: women that they are cheating on their wives with because their wives will never come here i think what we should do okay pitch me like do a brief recap of the novel and then go to our interview with Robert Petkoff, who read the audiobook of it. Uh-huh. Does that sound good to you?
2: Yeah, and then we'll be back after the interview to wrap up the show. I love it. That sounds like a format we can stick to. Yeah. So let's go ahead and talk about Star Trek Picard, The Dark Veil by James Swallow. An author name we will not be making fun of for the entire episode. <laughs>
1: Picard is not the main character of this novel, which surprised me. Like we, it's it's Troy and Riker on the cover, but I I thought with Picard being in the title <laughs> that he would make more than brief kind of cameo like appearances.
2: Yeah, you're right, Ben. Uh, like you get you get inferences about Picard's character. You get a little bit of him at the end, uh, in the form of like a kind of button on the book.
1: Yeah. And and he shows up like at maybe like the one third mark for like Riker blowing in a call to be like, hey, I'm in a bit of a scrape with some ROMs. Can you give yeah. me a little bit of advice, captain to captain?
2: And you get so much setup up for that moment because like we were in mid scrape in media scrape (laughs) with Riker and then we cut to France and it's like, is Picard going to be into using these drones to water his plants? And Laris and Jabon are there and I'm like, oh cool, we're going to get like a a whole storyline woven through here where we get more Laris and Jabon. Another
1: opportunity for Picard to like, like get the cavalry mounted up and ride out and and Laris and Jabon are going to be part of it?
2: Yeah. (laughs) We need our Laris and Jabon, uh book, like, just about them. Yeah, I mean, Jabon
1: doesn't need need to nah, show up I for mean, that necessarily.
2: If if Laris needs to be driven somewhere or, like, right. supported in any other way.
1: Or needs, like, a neck rub or something.
2: Right. I mean, there's Jabon. Yeah. Perfect for that. But, like, let's go on Adventures with Laris.
1: Adventures with Laris is a series of audiobooks that I would be delighted to listen to.
2: It's a it's a comic book series that writes itself.
1: It sure is. So the the way this book opens is Riker showing up in kind of like Romulan court, and I'm very much picturing Romulans in place of Klingons in the undiscovered yeah. country court like Me too. The description of the space sounds so much like undiscovered country. Yeah. And uh th- the book is very like I-, I think it's a little jokier than the previous Star Trek Picard book we read. I had that feeling too. A lot more like nerdy like references to other sci-fi things. I caught like I mean there's a uh, there's a point where Laris quotes uh quotes Dune and quotes specifically the character that Patrick Stewart played in the movie Dune. Mood's a thing for cattle
2: and love play. That part stuck out to me too and it reminded me of like a version of the infinite monkey at Infinite Typewriters situation. <laughs> like if you're if you're writing novels that feature Patrick Stewart and you have an infinite amount of of novels to write, you're eventually going to include that line of dialogue. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Said at him though, interestingly, yeah. instead of by him.
1: Right. Uh so at some point um the tactical officer on the OSS Titan says, Three marks at 210. An X-Wing line from Star Wars the movie. Right. Um there's there's a bunch of things like that. But anyways, uh we we cut back in time after it it starts to look like this this trial is not going well for Riker. And we cut back in time to, like, the events leading up to him being on trial.
2: You're probably wondering how I got myself here. (laughs) Says Will Riker.
1: So gather round while I break it down. Yeah. (laughs) And the USS Titan is on a classic Star Trek Uber mission where they are delivering some diplomats to a planet. This is a planet that is kind of like on the edge of federation space abutting the neutral zone and it's a species that is not a member species of the federation but are like kind of like lightly allied with the federation and uh not allied with the romulans
2: yeah not only not allied but they were like thanks but no thanks to federation membership (laughs) and everyone is incredulous about this like who wouldn't want to be in the Federation these people are fools yeah we'll give you holodecks we'll give you replicators we'll give you we'll give you so many great things we just want to be friends (laughs) and that's part of the mystery like the mystery is twofold one they don't want to be in our in our space club which is too bad and two how did they fuck up their planet like this like they they've they've scooped out everything of value from their planet, and they've made this giant generation ship out of the pieces,
1: yeah and and they're also like like super secretive. Like there is a member of Riker's crew that is a jasari that's the that's the name of this species. And like he can't be transported. He can't be scanned. It's like against their custom to to permit any like penetrative scanning.
2: Do you think SpermBot was the was the first draft name of this alien, and then they just decided Jizari <laughs> would be? Could probably sneak that one by.
1: The Jazari are uh, a an incredibly secretive people, and this this drop off mission quickly turns into also the Jazari member of Riker's crew is submitting his formal resignation and they announce like all Jazari everywhere are leaving the Alpha Quadrant and going as far from you freaks as possible. And <laughs> And, and, and like this is like such a slap in the face to the federation who are like we've just all we have ever done is try to be friends with you what the fuck
2: yeah yeah and not a low-ranking crew person on on the titan either like a a bridge crew person just yeah. like takes off the badge
1: he's out <laughs> takes off the badge he kills one guy with a bat leth and then he leaves yeah um there was one part of this book that I felt like was never quite wrapped up, which is that, like, early on, they they have, like, a scan of this Romulan warbird that's, like, just on the other side of the neutral zone, and they're like, it's fucking crazy. This this ship isn't even cloaked. It's absolutely bananas that we picked them up on sensors, and that must mean they're up to something. It must mean they were doing this on purpose. They wanted us to know that they're there. Yeah. They're, like, this is, like, an intentionally you know, provocative move on the part of this Romulan warbird. And I don't feel like that's ever resolved. Like why the warbird was so down to just be like, Hey guys, I'm over here. Just
2: FYI. It felt like it was a part of Medica's quality as a captain, as a Romulan, as a, as a person. Like Medica from jump seems like someone who's not into the veil as yeah. a as a as a thing that's applied throughout the book to different people and situations, he's he's out there, he's hanging it out there for everyone to see. <laughs> like one of the main frictions in the story is is between Medica and uh, and Helic.
1: Is Talshiar like dog walker slash first officer? Like she is there to keep an eye on him, but also to take orders from him. And there's like so much conflict in that arrangement.
2: This is like getting pipped, right? Like if you're a captain and you're assigned a Tao Shiar first officer, that's a that's a an improvement plan from <laughs> from management. Like <laughs> you fucked up. Yeah.
1: And like this is taking place like in between the attack on Mars and the supernova. So it's like a couple of years of the Romulans being kind of left high and dry by the suddenly skittish Federation and feeling a lot of like super legitimate grievance with the Federation over like pulling back on this offered help. And I, th- I thought like one of the, my favorite things about the book was how much it put me in the mindset of the Romulans mm-hmm. over and over again, like making me empathize with how wronged they felt at like like they were suspicious of the offer of help but then like the help being withdrawn only confirmed that suspicion yeah and and like that like i'm not that suspicious of a person many people would describe me as naive or uh (laughs) or even foolish but uh (laughs) but like i i felt like
2: was I supposed to argue against that description? I just wanted to be sure what my <laughs> what my role was there.
1: More so than the television show or the previous novel, I felt like I was like getting into the mindset of the ROMs because there are lots Same. of scenes where you're just on the Arthrist, the Romulan warbird, with Romulans talking to each other. And some of them are like... like Medica is a little bit more uh, open to the idea of the Federation and Helic and other people she talks to are a little bit more closed off to it mm-hmm. but, um, but you really get the sense of like what they thought about the whole thing
2: I, I really agree with you like in the Picard season we saw like Romulans on the edge of town Acting like assholes toward Picard, and and you're made to take Picard's side because something about that behavior feels unjust because it's right. it's attacking a favorite character, but you spend so much time in this book with that side, you're really made to. It's it's very persuasive about their distrust in a way that I was surprised by. It was effective.
1: So there is this space disaster where the like the last few things that the jazari are doing are like breaking down their their starships and i guess they they like came flat pack from starship ikea and now they're kind of trying to like disassemble them and and put them up in their generation ships so that they can make their long voyage across the galaxy
2: Planetary Productions over. They're pulling up their tape and their cables, and <laughs> yeah. getting the and, hell
1: out. And they're like breaking down this this ship uh, uh, with one of these like huge deconstruction platforms, and like the the uh, warp core or or similar goes <laughs> haywire and creates like a singularity. And there's this there's this like space disaster where if if the Titan doesn't like get in there and try and close this hole that's opening up in space time it's going to swallow up the entire star system and then maybe like keep growing like in the star trek universe it's possible to fuck up in a way that like eats the universe accidentally and so like the titan isn't strong enough to to plug the hole by itself it's it is it is no dutch boy
2: it feels like space deep water horizon like that's <laughs> yeah. the thing they're trying to, to solve for. They need to junk shot this hole, don't they? Yeah.
1: And, uh, and, and it, it takes the Arthras, the Romulan warbird showing up with an offer of help. And so what this does is like, it fucks up the Titan and the warbird and they now need the help of the Jasari who don't want anything to do with any of them. Um, but are like offering that help kind of begrudgingly like, OK, well, you saved every member of our species. So I guess if you need to fix your ship, you can beam some of your people over here.
2: It's really awkward because the entire time the the Jazari have a deal, they're like, you're not allowed to scan our ship. You're not allowed to beam over. You're not allowed to do a number of things that is revealed later to be uh, technologies in place to obscure their true nature. Right. And and this this is part of the discomfort is after the Romulan ship and the, and the Titan are injured, like they were about to light out and leave. Like they're just about to leave the party. And now yeah. they're like, oh, okay, I guess you need a ride. <laughs> I do have jumper cables in my trunk. I'll see what I could do to help. And you can't say no because you have all these biospheres. Like everything meant to support life and and like to be a space life craft is right here you'd be an asshole to say no you'd be an asshole to say
1: no but like one thing that comes out in some of these early discussions of is the titan crew going to go bivouac on the jazari ship is that like the romulans are looking at this huge generation ship and going like you could solve our problem
2: yeah you got any more of those generation ships yeah like we there? need to
1: move a few billion people from one place to another like if you guys could delay your trip for 5 years like 2 yeah. years like you could you could like literally save the romulan star empire it's a big from, ask
2: though ben that is <laughs> That's really putting the Jazari into a bind.
1: It's a big ask and it's also like the two most paranoid species in the Star Trek universe. Right. Like, like the Romulans being as as ridiculously secretive as they are and the Jazari being as ridiculous secretive as they are and i felt like there was like less made of that of like how parallel their species are in some ways
2: when you do a favor for the romulans i don't feel like you get to bank that as something coming back to you
3: <laughs> No. <laughs> could you do me a favor
2: one other
1: character that plays a pretty big role in this uh, uh, uh in this book is
2: thad Riker, thad thaddeus wharf troy Riker. Did you think this was the story of his life and death? Because I was positive he was going to be uh, like they were going to find out about his disease. And at the end of the book, we were going to realize exactly how Troy and Riker took a break from their commission, went to that planet, built a log cabin and started making pizzas.
1: I said out loud, I was walking the dog, I was listening to the last chapter in this book, and I said out loud, don't make me go through this, because I was so worried about what was going to happen to Thad at the end of this book. Yeah. And uh, that is not what the the book deals with.
2: I wonder to what extent the book knows our expectations surrounding Thad and, wor- and wasn't playing us for that tension, because he yeah. spends a lot of time in a bio bed being scanned and put back together. And I was like, well, certainly the Jasari with all of their technology are going to get a hit off of the scan. Right. But that never happens.
1: They're either going to see that it's, that it's happening or it's going to be somehow the fault of the scan, but they don't pick up on it immediately. Yeah. Anyways, the problem is that the Titan has been, has been banged up so badly that like most of the ship is uninhabitable. And then Energy that they need to fix the ship is also is in competition with the energy they need to like run life support. Mm -hmm. And so if the Jazari can kind of take, you know, a good portion of the crew off the table, like from an energetic standpoint, it'll speed up the repairs for the Titan so they're like well like this is great we want to get underway uh we are uh, we are in fact on our way to the other side of the galaxy but if you want to like fly alongside us that would be great can't really stop at this point yeah it's like doing the jumper cables while driving
2: you've just come out of ralph's with your with your grocery bags you're like look i really don't have time for this there's a lot of mint chocolate
1: chip in here and uh, if i don't get home pretty soon it's gonna be a big mess yeah And then the Romulans come in with kind of a surprising offer of help of their own, which is like, hey, uh, there's a big gnarly nebula that you need to fly through in order to like head in the most direct way toward your destination. We happen to have the only good star charts of that nebula. So we'll like lead the way. You guys can tag along and uh, we'll keep the two ships safe. It'll be like a gesture of amity between the Romulans and the Federation. And we'll get these Jizari out of here in one piece.
2: And Helic standing behind Medica. Like her eyes have rolled backwards ten times at this point. Like it's nothing but bridges too far between Medica and Helic. Like it's bridges as far as the eye can see that yeah. Medica's crossing. Because when he agrees to to like grant star chart knowledge to people, I think that's really the beginning of the end in that relationship.
1: He is the captain Ramius that doesn't plan to defect, right? He's got the political yeah. officer and he and and if he'd only punched her ticket at the beginning of the book, like none of these problems would have happened.
2: Right. Medica's like, God, doesn't Helic ever take a break? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> go have lunch, Helic. <laughs> You're always weighing in on everything. You are really crawling up my ass right now.
1: <laughs> so uh, among the uh, federations that go live on the Jizari ship in what's called the Ochre Dome, which is the name of one of the like biospheres that I guess like the outside of the ship has a bunch of like like biodomes, and uh, they pick the one that doesn't have
2: polyshore in it to live on.
3: Who's the, king? the squirrel. Who's the, shrimp? the shrimp.
2: Yeah, I mean, in my mind's eye, I saw like a long cylinder type shaped ship, and then a bunch of like bubbles uh-huh. coming off of it.
1: And then uh, like one little part at the back that's kind of shaped like a rabbit.
2: Yeah. One of the ends unscrews uh, for the insertion (laughs) of the power source. Right.
1: (laughs) Uh, So Troy and Thaddeus are among the federations that go down there and they're like, they're like literally camping in tents inside this uh, biosphere. And um, Thaddeus is a precocious kid who gets into all kinds of trouble and starts like sneaking around the ship, like finds a way to leave the dome. He makes friends with uh one of the sphere-shaped drones of the uh of the jazari which uh he's able to do because he's he can like quickly interpret languages and this sphere is making like a light pattern and that is able to kind of like he's kind of like the universal translator embodied i feel like
2: i think the book does a good job in writing kids in that way where they're constantly doing stupid shit that you totally believe. Like, like there's a group of kids and they're like teasing each other and dad wants to to look brave and he can't get anyone to go with him on his mission and so he goes on his own. Like, it totally pencils out.
1: He's a really good character. He's he's, like reading him in this book made me miss him in the show, you know?
2: Yeah, and, and throughout this story, there's never even a hint of, you know, Thad doubled over with a headache he couldn't explain. <laughs> like there's, there's no, there's no Chekhov's headache about no. him throughout this entire story. He's just a regular kid. And what is he? Six.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's six. Um, he's, I feel like he, he's maybe written a little older, but maybe that's because he's supposed to be like such a genius, right? Um, but anyways, like on one of his misadventures, he's like already gotten in trouble a bunch for sneaking off and like exploring on a ship of aliens that don't want to be explored
2: i did not expect the troy Riker household to be spankers but there are like four <laughs> or five pages that just describe the spanking that yeah. thad gets in in a lot of detail like more detail given to the thad spanking than with the eye trauma torture that that Helic yeah. doles out at that jazari
1: and like the, the Vulcan uh, chief medical officer catches Troy doing it and is like, what are you doing? And she says, well, if my mom raised me this way, then it's good enough for him. <laughs> and he's like, that is such a terrible justification for like a completely backwards practice. What the fuck?
2: I uh, I mean many other Star Trek books have taken a hardline stance on spanking your kids but like few have gone as many pages as this one
1: yeah um, anyways he, he is like sneaking <laughs> off yet another time and manages to like bear witness to Helic with a couple of motorcycle bad guys yeah. like that are under her thumb uh, like clandestinely sneaking onto the ship and abducting a Jazari and I, th- I loved this too, because like we, we learned so much about the Jat Vash in Star Trek, Picard, the show, but mm-hmm. I always wondered, cause it's supposed to be a, a, like, it's, it's only women in the Jat Vash, but uh, they do have aligned males. And I wondered like how they, how they recruited, how they cultivated those uh, relationships and the dudes that Helic can like re- rely on to be like, Uh, blindly loyal to the Empire that populate Medica's ship are interesting characters and she's able to like go abduct this Jizari and then there's this like totally nasty torture scene where she's like cutting him up while he's still alive and, and interrogating him about what the Jizari are up to.
2: There's so much more torture than I expected for a book that spent as many pages on young Thad Riker I and know storyline. I like I really got the bends in in terms of tone. Yeah.
1: My wife and I started watching uh, Baywatch, which has is oh, yeah. on it's on Hulu now. And I'd never I've never seen it. And we've only watched two episodes. But it's like it's such a like 10 out of 10 horny show. Yeah. But also David Hasselhoff's like young son is like a storyline that keeps happening and I'm like, why why the eight-year-old in the like ultra ultra horny show? <laughs> like
2: maybe yeah. leave the eight-year-old out of it. <laughs> well, like that Hasselhoff is so virile, like yeah. <laughs> the show is so horny and also look at what he can make.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: One of the ROMs is this science guy, I forget his name, but he's uh, we're
2: talking about Vadril, the, the conscience of the group
1: yeah, Vadril is like, it is heavily implied that it's kind of his fault that the Romulan supernova is happening. And I thought that was really interesting because I uh, that was such a big mystery that was left dangling.
2: Can you imagine having his Twitter account? Like, <laughs> fuck, yeah. everyone telling him what a piece of shit he is.
1: Yeah, I, I logged on one morning and I saw hashtag Vadril is over party. And I was like, what's this all about? <laughs>
2: I like his utility uh, as a counterbalance to uh, to Helic, though. Like, there's there's that tension. Like, Helic has tension with Vadril as much as she's got tension with uh, with Medica. You know? Yeah. How much? Like, here's an aside that's that's still related to this, but like, Helic has seen into the well and has like seen the hellscape that that comes from. Synthetics taking over and, and genociding all of other life. How much and like you understand Helix motivations uh, after having seen that
1: she's scared, but she's also slightly, slightly deranged, like,
2: right. But the people who work in Helix periphery have only been told of such a thing. Right. Like, Obliquely about about why she's so many of them haven't even been told. It's just that because of her position saying. in
1: the Tal Shiar, meaning she is like closer to the praetors.
2: It's a will, really interesting tension when you when you think about like, like her motivations versus everyone else's, like second or third hand motivations.
1: Yeah. So uh, when they abducted this Jazari guy, they they left a bomb. Back on the jazari ship to like explode and make it look like an eps conduit blew out and that's why this guy is missing because he got vaporized by some accident on the jazari ship that was not caused by romulans and thad gets caught in the explosion so hence all of the medical tent hangs for thaddeus and it's like it's bad enough that it's like it's, it's not looking good for Thad until the Jazari kind of make an offer of help that nobody can refuse. They're like, right. this is literally his one chance, and it might not work, but it might.
2: Concurrently, tensions escalate between the Romulans and, and Riker on the Titan to the extent that uh, that Helic has taken command of her ship, and along with a couple of other Romulan ships, attack the already crippled titan and there's a there's a fun dogfight scene yeah in it. i think the the action sequences in the book are, are pretty well conceived
1: yeah they're really exciting um it's i feel like reading about a space battle is a really different experience th- than watching one yeah. on television and like hearing how all the like mechanics of it work in the in the book was was really fun and and good and and it's bracing like you're worried for the generation ship you're worried for the titan like the it's got it's it's definitely borrowing a lot of tropes from like wrath of khan mm-hmm. where they're in a nebula and the ships are super fucked up and it's like a they live fight
3: put on the glasses on
1: <laughs> It just keeps going and going and they, they keep getting worse and worse off.
2: Helic gets very general Chang after taking command of her ship. Like, very yeah. monologuing to no one. Very inner <laughs> monologuing to herself in a way that's very arch. Like, a, like they really lean into into those tones here.
1: She's not a seasoned space battler. Like, she, yeah. she doesn't have the reps and they're are some Romulans on the bridge of the Arthrys that are like loyal to Medica that are like, well, she's the new captain and we got to do her orders, but I'm not going to not say that this is a terrible idea.
2: That's what Riker's counting on. Uh, Riker even says in the book, you're not a captain until you shoot 10,000 torpedoes. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone knows that.
1: Yeah. And Riker kicks her ass like twice. Yeah. Pretty fun. Outfoxing a Romulan has got to be, like, the funnest shit. Like, when when she holograms into his office and thinks she's loaded a virus onto his computer, and he's like, no, I have, in fact, loaded a virus onto your computer.
2: That was the scene that I was going to bring up, which was like, God, don't be just a... You're such a dope, Riker. Like, you're actually letting this happen (laughs) until it's revealed that this is all part of Riker's plan to begin with. Like... He's he's never not in control of a situation.
1: Yeah. Well, I think his biggest asset low-key are Keru, the tactical officer, and Christine Vale, his first officer, Mm -hmm. who is also she came up through Starfleet Security and really gave me Commander Shelby vibes. Like I I felt like she was very much based on Commander Shelby in both the fact that she's like ultra paranoid and always trying to think of like what the angle is that anybody is pursuing but also the fact that she and riker don't get along that well like they they don't always agree on stuff and she will really you know make her her displeasure heard if she doesn't feel like he is doing the right thing in a given moment
2: i mean i think if you're riker you're always going to be chasing that shelby dragon right like if you can't put shelby in as your xo you're going to get a veil and veil as you're describing like is just as quippy like anytime there's an opportunity to quip it's the care it's the veil vale character who does it in this yeah. book
1: so they uh they cripple the romulan ship with this virus they they like she's, beam. she's
2: one of the dark veils in the book isn't she oh Christine wow vale. i didn't even
1: think about that <laughs> <laughs> Uh, She is on the commando team that beams over to the Romulan ship and like half of them go sabotage the warp reactor and half of them go free Medica who is able to like unseat the coup that um, Helic has uh, put in place. And then they have to go on trial. Like these, these like old style warbirds come out of, out of warp and are like, like we can make this a problem for all of y'all, if you if you want. But if you don't want that, you can come over here and be in this uh, in this undiscovered country trial.
2: That was another Star Trek six tone. That was another rhyme that that this one bit, which is like when Kirk makes the decision to subject himself to trial. That decision happens almost instantaneously, like he beams off and he's there. And Riker does the same thing. He thinks about it for a moment and he's like, well, if it gets my crew off the hook, I'm beaming over. And then he's gone.
1: Yeah. And um, we like pick up, I guess, after him kind of relaying the story and the thing that he leaves out, we have to kind of like mentally think back through the book and think of the parts that he told and the parts that he didn't tell. Cause the thing that he leaves out is that the Josari are in fact a race of androids and are from the Andromeda galaxy and are going back home because of the synthetic ban in the Federation. They, they feel that their presence in the Milky way galaxy is no longer viable because so many biological species are turning on androids and that's why helic as a jat vash was so convinced that she had to destroy all jazari everywhere
2: like i really felt for the jazari because they were trying to leave a party without saying goodbye uh-huh. and they just keep and like they've been spotted by the host and they just can't leave
1: yeah it's uh, the jazari goodbye is is the nightmare <laughs> of all irish people it's true <laughs> Uh, and, and it doesn't come out in the trial. Like nobody will say this out loud in this in this context. And Helic winds up paying full price for not succeeding. Like the the uh the description of the Tal Shiar and the Jat Vash as being like incredibly results-oriented organizations, I thought was so funny. Like she did exactly what they wanted her to do, but she failed. So she doesn't earn any any respect from them if if she doesn't actually get the job done,
2: right, right, she really gets her pants pulled down in front of everyone. Huge yeah. bummer. Medica innocent, Helic guilty, Riker innocent, Spock present.
1: Yeah, he was. he It turned out Riker had a lawyer there the
2: entire time, and it yeah. was it was Spock. And uh, when the lawyer assigned to you is Spock, that's a pretty that's a pretty good sign. That's a well funded county. I think. Totally.
1: Yeah. <laughs> He talks about like stuff to do with reunification. He talks, talks about stuff like he wants to like holler at Geordi to get some ideas about how to forestall the supernova, which like I did not expect this book to be tying a thread between reunification and Star Trek 2009, but it totally does.
2: Yeah, pretty wild. It was a good cameo. His lawyer was described as having a sibilant, and you know where my head went, I was like, "Holy shit. How would you like How would you like Kevin Uxbridge as your lawyer?
1: <laughs> as a man who has dedicated his life to stopping the destruction of all blanks everywhere
2: in general. <laughs> I'd like to see you find my client guilty without any gavels
1: <laughs> I have to apologize to the defendant's wife who has a deafening ice cream truck playing in her head right now <laughs> uh, that's just something that happens when I come around her my sincere apologies Mrs. Troy Riker
2: <laughs> yeah speaking of uh, Mrs. Troy Riker uh, button on the book is a Beta Z bun in the oven <laughs>
1: so much happier of an ending than I was expecting because yeah because like that part of the book starts with like yeah well we're gonna have to do a lot more scanning Thad to make sure that you're yeah you know, and he's like talking about like the imaginary planet that he's drawing maps for. Like we can go live on an island together. And I'm like, oh, God, this is about to be such a gut
2: punch. Yeah. Like all he wants to do the entire book is have a permanent home and not live on the ship. And, and in, in my mind, I was like, well, sorry, kid. <laughs> Your life is going to be nothing but pain and disappointment. The only thing more permanent than home is
0: death.
1: <laughs> a a uh, pretty rip roaring tale. uh Quite a bit longer, I think, than the previous Star Trek Picard book we we read. I think that that one was maybe eight hours, and this was twelve.
2: Wow i I really felt it because that first book I listened to on a road trip driving from Seattle to L A. That was the that was the the move, the move yeah. week, and I took that down easily on that drive. And over the last couple of weeks, it was really like two hours here, two hours there to knock this thing down. It was it was a bigger effort for sure.
1: Yeah, I uh, I also, I think, uh, did it on a long road trip. I, I think I like went up to the Bay Area to see my mom and dad and and I like listened to the first half of the book on the way up and the second half on the way back down. Um, and this time, yeah, it was like walking the dog, doing the dishes, like just finding little moments to... Uh, to listen to the audiobook and i guess like i really liked it like i was like if i could count on myself not to drift off and lose my place in the book like i could see like listening to an audiobook being a great way to go to sleep and i'm sure that there's like a technological solution to that that i could just find out about but um but yeah like it's it's Uh, it's it's really nice and I think that like the thing that is nicest about it is how well read it is and uh, I think uh, should we just get right into our interview with Robert Petkoff
2: yeah let's go ahead and do that Uh, Robert Petkoff was kind enough to join us for an interview and uh, I mean his was the voice we heard in our heads for so long I think we finally got him back putting ours into his
1: (laughs) (laughs) so here is that interview
2: uh, one of the most fun multi-hyphenate combinations, I think, that you can get is star of stage, screen, and headphones. Uh, this show is beneath him, clearly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but
2: we are so psyched to uh, have Robert Peckoff on the greatest discovery. Welcome, Robert.
0: Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I uh, I feel elevated.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we've listened to two of your of your audio now for the show and we've really enjoyed the heck out of them so i kind of i'm a little starstruck because you you've played almost every character i love from star trek
0: <laughs> it's like the best part of the job i mean it, it, the first one i think i ever did was an original series and that was what i grew up watching the reruns of and so when they were like well you're gonna do you know, we don't want you to do exactly try to be kirk or spock but just give us a feeling of them and i was like wait what do (laughs) do I have to pay you
3: guys that's so cool
0: a long time ago they were done by the original cast they used to do them as a multicast Um, and so it's kind of nice it's kind of nice that they don't do them anymore that I get to
2: does that quality cut both ways though because like on some audiobooks, some fiction audiobooks anyway. I can imagine like these aren't characters we've seen on TV before, but with Star Trek, we kind of know how they look and sound. And so there's like an existing yeah. voice format for them. Is that something that is a greater challenge for that reason?
0: It isn't. I mean, listen, I I, I never try to like uh, uh, mimic because I'm not that good. I'm 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 not like that at all. But um, I do try to give a quality of it. And yeah, it you know, they got Karen Perlman is the one who produces all these books with me. And, and she's fantastic about looking up who's in memory alpha, who's memory <laughs> beta, you know, because if they're memory alpha, we got to search them down and we got yeah. to sound like, you know, I think we did. We did one character once and then midway through the book, I'm like, this person sounds familiar. We should look it up and we sure enough. And, you know, I might have been doing I might have been doing a voice like this. And then you <laughs> listen to the actor and the actor's like. Where were you from? <laughs> I'm like, oh nuts. Now we gotta go back and start again.
1: You're not doing like Kevin Pollock doing an impression of, but you're also wow. not not like embodying the character with some of the essence. Like I think I mean this this most recent book, like your Riker, doesn't sound like you're trying to do Riker, but it also sounds like Riker to me. Right.
0: Jonathan Frakes has a a force when he speaks, you know, he's just very, very direct, you know, and so you just sort of pick up that quality, you know, Captain Picard, we, you know, we, we've got it, blah, blah, blah. It, it, it's that sort of emphasis, emphatic, sort of speaking, uh, that's fantastic. But I could never, I could. Ne- I wish I could, Kevin Pollockett. I mean, I think the books would be amazing. People would be like, wait, William Shatner sounds so young. You know, it, it would be amazing if I could do it. But just to giving a, a flavor of it is fun. And I know we did we did an audiobook where it was a young Kirk, very young Kirk. So it was thrilling to try to do like a 10 or 13-year-old William Shatner. Wow. Um, So you're just doing a voice, but occasionally you pop a word, you know, and you try to do just a a flavor of it. It's really fun.
1: That's awesome. I was walking my dog the other day, listening to this audio book, and you've got the bridge of the titan you've got the bridge of the Arthrus, the romulan ship and all of the ca- the cast of characters on both bridges you've got all of these aliens on this other ship you've got like brief interludes on earth and I was like, my mind was racing. Like, how does he keep all of the characters straight? Like when I read a novel, I, like I, I'm like, which is this guy? Have we met this guy before? Is this guy <laughs> from true. like 10 chapters ago? that guy. And you're yeah. remembering who those guys are and also how they sound. And that's like so mind boggling to me. And it really like helps, helps me as a listener keep the threads straight. And I wonder Absolutely. how much goes into
0: crafting that. I made the mistake once early in my narration career where I was doing a series of 20 books and I got kind of behind on prep. So I thought, you know what, I'll just cold read this next one. And we we got a character in chapter two that came back in chapter 17. Uh, I mean, he'd, <laughs> oh, no. been, he'd been speaking for a while, you know, many, multiple chapters. But in chapter 17, our author generously said, He said, in his light German accent, I was like, you son of a, why would you not, I mean, why would you not even share that with with your readers from the get-go so they can have that in their head? So I literally had to go back and find every instance of him talking. Since then... I make sure that I read every book in in advance, uh, fiction books, and and then I go through. I have an uh, an app called I Annotate. Shout out to I Annotate uh, uh-huh. on my iPad. It's really great. And I Rob I beep can that out. It. We can't uh, we can't yeah. advertise. You apps can't on. have that yeah. <laughs> uh, I use an app called Boo, and and the uh, what's so great about it is I can highlight. I can highlight dialogue. So what I do is I pick a color for each character. Uh, you know. Like Kirk would get a yellow, Spock mm-hmm. would get a blue, McCoy would get a darker blue, I'm a little pedestrian that way. But um, but we go through and and I would I would highlight all the dialogue so at least when I'm doing a scene in a chapter, I know oh I know who that character is. I, I can jump very quickly. But also the cheat is that. Um, Karen Perlman, our producer, has the engineer drop a slate or drop a, a mark at each new character, so that on day two or day three of recording, uh, when a character shows up, we go, oh, oh, "Oh, wait, let me hear that one again. What did I do for that?" Right. And oh, so we cool. can hear a quick clip and go, "Oh, yeah, yeah, he's got a huskier voice than I was just doing." But it ultimately it just it just makes it like you said it just makes it clearer, to, easier to follow when you're when you're listening to the book. You go, "Oh, that's yeah, that person." You
1: have done a ton of television acting, too. And uh, I I watched your reel before we started recording. And it's (laughs) like like how it starts. It's so fun. Yeah, it's it's. uh, I knew we'd
2: like talking to you after after you get kicked in the nuts by Mariska Hargitay.
0: (laughs) That was like one of my favorite things. Uh, And when I when I got to see it on TV, I was like, oh, this has got to be the start of my reel me punching Mariska Hargitay. Um, (laughs) My favorite part of that was when we were on set doing it. um, The after the first rehearsal of it, the sound guy came up and said, um. You, you don't need to make the punching sounds we'll, we'll do that. and i'm like oh because i literally when i swung my my fist at her i went Psh! and i'm like oh dude and then the next take he came up and i go did i do it again he goes no 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 no, mariska you don't have to make the sound when you punch him and she was doing it and it's just it was fabulous we're both wow. kids playing you know yeah but that's that awesome was, that was a lot of fun to do
1: I uh, I didn't see any Star Trek on that reel, but if you if you were I mean there's so much Star Trek in production now. If you if you could pick a a one episode role, do you have a dream part for Star Trek?
0: Oh God, I, you know I I would love to be in prosthetics so I could do a voice, you know, yeah. but no one necessarily has to see my face. But that would I mean to be on a Star Trek episode of anything, um, I would love. To get on to that that newest uh, what is it? Uh, uh, Strange new worlds. Strange uh, new worlds. Hey. Yeah. I oh my god! I would I would just kill to be on any Star Trek. You know um, that would be a dream come true. And I have I did a thriller play years ago with Gates McFadden, where I was a, a psycho killer trying to trying to kill her. And she ends up, <laughs> you know, pushing me into a, a hot tub with a electric wire in it. And I got to you know, <laughs> go up, but it was great, you know, getting to work with Gates, but you know, whatever I envy. Oh, um, well, what's the actor who plays Saru? Um, yeah. Doug uh, Jones. Yes. I envy him so much, you know, that yeah. all the, cause he gets to be a, a, a hundred different things and he gets to vocally play it, you know, and that's, that's sort of what I do with the audio books, but it would be great to, you know. Yeah. Be absolutely great to do that on tv. Oh, I would kill to do that.
1: We we've uh, had a long-standing campaign to get blown out of an airlock on one of the new yes. Star Trek shows yes. and if if Strange New Worlds has an episode where they have an alien with a lot of prosthetics and two humans that get blown out of an airlock, this could be That's perfect it.
0: for the three of us. It's perfect. We'll be a new alien race that tries to take over the Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, There, we, blow us out of there you go.
2: Package deal only if you Come want on. Robert right. Peckoff. We're coming with. You unfortunately God. also have to have Ben and You have Adam. to have yeah. <laughs> Ben and Adam. Sorry. One trailer, these two guys stay outside.
0: <laughs> you guys get the John.
1: Yeah, we just stand around the, the craft surfaces table going like, uh, Hey, Anson, uh, remember when
2: you were on our podcast? <laughs> Yeah, Hansen's a friend of the show. He'd remember us. You know, they're making so many new Star Trek shows. Eventually, we'll all be on. I would hope. In In the future, everyone has 15 minutes of Star Trek.
0: That's right. Oh, God, that would be a dream.
2: (laughs) Ben and I, not professional voice actors. Occasionally, we will stumble over some words. And for Mm. me, it's one word every time. I can't say particularly oh, without please. without eating shit on it. <laughs> yeah, me too. And I'm wondering if there are any words for you that, that you see them coming up in your type and you're like, oh no, here it comes. I
0: better stick the landing. I mean, literally particularly is one. I just did that yeah. really well just now, just to be yeah, impressive. Yeah, awesome. But, but if in the middle of reading, it'll be particularly. You're like, uh-huh. no, not particularly. You know, and I have a, I use a liquid U a lot of times, uh, maybe too much, um, <laughs> influenced by the whole Shakespeare and stuff like that. And so occasionally they're like, um, I keep
2: the liquid U in a nightstand.
0: That's, that's right. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> but you, you, you gotta like uh, sometimes tune that down. Um, right. But uh, no, I, for me, it's I'll, I'll do, I did a thing called Putin's kleptocracy filled with Russian names. And, wow and and more recently I did something filled with chinese names and you know the listener never knows this because they're like wow he just that just rolled off his tongue they don't hear the 17 takes i did <laughs> trying to get that one name you know correct and just just dying laughing especially because it becomes a mental when you see the word you're like here it comes here it comes i know i'm going to mess it up and then you mess it up i think the thing about narrating that has been the most eye opening for me and the most humbling is how many words I have always pronounced incorrectly (laughs) until until you're in a studio and someone says, no, that's not it. Sure. I think that's it. I've always (laughs) said it that way. And they're like, yes, well, you've always been wrong. Having podcasts has really illuminated that for us, too. (laughs) right? (laughs) I just found one uh, on a book I was just doing. John, as I say, John Quincy Adams, like so many of us know, the town in Massachusetts for which he was named is Quincy. Right. So it's John Quincy Adams. I think Quincy is
1: wrong on this one. I think it should be pronounced Quincy. And I think that there's more of us than there are of them. And we can we can overrule them. Yeah.
0: In the audiobook world, we always default to Merriam-Webster.
1: Speaking of pronunciation, there is a character in this book, Thaddeus, who is like multilingual and speaking a made up language a lot of the time. Yeah. And it struck me that like when you like break into Korean and then to French and then to Kalu for a second, like that's that's got to be its own kind of acrobatic. Special hell. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's it's one of those things you're like, oh, God, you know, Karen Perlman really knows French well. So I can't get away with anything French that's just like a close to it. Uh She's like, no. You know, and, and uh, so you know every one of those things, if it's, if it's Korean, anything like that, we have to go look it up. We have to try to find it. The author may not know sometimes you have to find a source. I think what you do is kind of a miracle because it's like,
2: uh, like I listened to the whole entire book and then that's the first time I hear music is at the very end for the credits. And I'm like, oh, my God, I listened to two weeks of an audiobook without music or special effects. It just hung on. One person's voice when their ability to do voice work, and I think that's like when you did when you stepped up and did your first audiobook. Did you feel that kind of pressure to entertain without without everything that's on the periphery of doing television or theater? Like it's just you.
0: It is. It's weird. I mean, listen. For an actor, it's it's the it's from Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream, Let Me Play the Lion too. You know, yeah, it's yeah. bottom. I want to play every part. And so uh, audiobooks is perfect for that, because I finally get to do every part. Um, and I think the very first the very first audiobook I did was Lincoln a Photobiography odd title you just described the pictures yeah i was like uh, i did the dialogue i, I mean i did the uh, the narration in the book but it was like this doesn't seem to me like this,
2: this one most... is also
0: black and white
2: <laughs> yeah, that's right that's uh, it looks like right. he's wearing a hat
0: imagine if you will <laughs> but the second big book i did was called beat the reaper and that was just like this guts ball uh josh bezell wrote it's a it's a guy who was a hitman in the mob but but he's in witness protection, he's gone through medical school, he's now a doctor in a New York hospital, and on this day, he runs into someone from the old thing. And so he's got to decide, do I, do I stay and save this patient? Do I run? And if I stay and save, I know that I'm, I'm running the clock out before the, the hit men come. And it was just this very Quentin Tarantino kind of guts ball thing. I mean, listen, I don't, I don't want to spoil the ending, but there's a moment where he literally must take a bone out of his body to fashion it into a weapon. It was fabulous. <laughs> right. It was just that book, you know, but it was so much fun and it was first person. So it was very much just like acting. I just became the character and, and did the thing. And then after, and in the books after that, it was like, oh, okay, great. But it is, there is this sense that you, you don't want to drone on, you know, uh, I joke about nonfiction books is I'm trying to talk to an attractive person at a party and tell them the story. But that, that sense of, I need to try to keep the ball in the air. I need to keep your interest. And it's hard because, you know, on hour six of the third day, you might be a little tired, you know, and I, and I do warn producers and engineers. I'm like, listen, if you start hearing me drone on or get pedantic, please let me know. Cause I want to keep it like we're talking right now, you know, cause it's much more interesting, you know, to talk about architecture or politics or whatever. If I'm talking like this, then if I were, and then John Bolton moved down. <laughs> he opened the door and saw the file. And you're like, "Oh my God, I'm right. already asleep." You right? It, it's, it's terrible. So you you try you to keep try like to... a one and a half martini buzz going the entire that's right, three that's days. Right. <laughs> you know, that's how did you know my technique? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I'm going to write that down. <laughs> yeah. You am going to keep the shaker out of the takes. You know, yeah. the <laughs> clinking of the ice. Um, but no, it's it. I mean, God, it's such a fun thing to do. And, and you know, it can be very mentally taxing. Obviously, you're, you're doing all this focus for a long time. But at the end of the day, I, if I'm come home and I'm tired. My wife's like, oh, you must be exhausted. I'm like, yeah, but I wasn't. I wasn't laying bricks. I wasn't I wasn't building a, a skyscraper. I wasn't cleaning toilets. I wasn't detasseling corn like I did as a high school student, you know, in in Illinois. I wasn't doing any of that stuff. So this is this is a gift from God. You know, this is so great. You know, the only thing better than this would be getting to do a Star Trek episode right. or a series where I played a regular character in Star Trek. Anyone listening?
1: Anybody listening? We we know that some people that work on Discovery listen to the program. So hopefully uh, hopefully, yeah. this does not fall on deaf ears. Uh, but Robert Petcalf, this has been such a delight. Thank you uh, so much you. for coming on the program and talking to us. And thank you for... All these great audiobooks. We've just had such a a fun time listening to them.
0: Thank you. This has been a blast. Thanks a
2: ton, Robert. Appreciate it. Wow, so we really enjoyed our time with Robert Petkov. As you can as you can hear, uh the guy's just totally game. Uh really cool. We uh we talked to him for like three, three
1: and a half hours and we only uh, put about half an hour into the episode, but uh, he was he was a real fun hang. Yeah. Very generous uh, of him to to spend the time talking to us. And uh, here's hoping for that uh, Robert Petkoff team up where uh, he and the two of us uh, get to go on Strange New Worlds and get blown out an airlock.
2: Really excited for that day.
1: If he could, he could be like the 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 heavy alien and we could be his detail and we could all get blown out an airlock together
2: i think that's how it should be as i said it's a package deal you heard robert agree to it also
1: yeah i think that's definitive uh so uh just reach out i'm, I'm sure he has a talent agent uh number on his website uh, just yeah reach just see me
2: and ben on that make sure uh, yeah make sure
1: Make sure you include us.
2: Before we wrap up the show, I, I know we have a couple of Priority One messages here. Ben, you want to get to those?
1: Let's do some P1s.
0: Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured channel.
1: Hey, we've got a couple of P1s here. This first one is of a promotional nature, Adam, and it goes like this. Do you like the introspection of Star Trek Colin Picard and the relationships between the crew of the Big D? The Titan Run trilogy has all this and more. Meet the crew of the mining ship Kraken, harvesting the lakes of Titan and the crew of the non-Starfleet Phoenix as they learn what their fancy new ship can do. Though millions of kilometers apart, they are intertwined in a struggle for life, love, and redemption. Volume 1, Breaking Orbit, and Volume 2, Kraken and Phoenix, out in Kindle and paperback now. Volume 3, Statute of Expectations, later this year? Visit titanruntrilogy.space for trailers and links to Amazon. Wow, how awesome, given that the USS Titan is, uh... The main starship in this in this book that we just read, and uh, and we're, we've got the Titan Run trilogy being advertised here on the program.
2: I love the author of these books, not even including their name, in this. Yeah, big fun over there in this in this uh, Titan Run trilogy again on the USS, not Starfleet Phoenix. <laughs> That's how you get around uh, being sued by Paramount, right there. Yeah. Ben, our second Priority One message is from Amy K. It's to Molly and Jordan, and the message goes like this. This shout-out goes to my friends and fellow FODs. Molly and Jordan, from that Halloween staff meeting where two red shirts had their first low-key nod of mutual Trekkie recognition <laughs> to our weekly online game hangs during quarantine. Thanks for being great, friendos and for introducing me to the greatest Trek family. Love you guys.
1: Wow. Thank you, Molly and Jordan, for spreading the word. And thank you,
2: Amy K., for getting a P1. And thanks to uh, the crew of the Titan Run Trilogy for getting a promotional P1. Proud to win messages. Uh, so important for supporting the production of The Greatest Discovery.
1: Yeah, head to MaximumFun.org jembotron Jumbotron to book yours today. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed, and one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never-frozen, chef-crafted meals, and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com trek50 and use code TREK50 to get 50% off. That's code TREK50 at factormeals.com TREK50 to get 50% off. The shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun, and uh, I recommend it. Uh, It works great. Uh, Trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman electric face shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscapes.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscapes.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever.
0: Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating.
3: Find us by searching for
0: the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org.
2: Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin! Edward Larkin. You know...
1: Larkins are a little bit different from Shimoda's, but I gotta say the the person having the most fun this week was Robert Petkoff. Like, listening to him do that is so much fun, and it's clear that he really, like, enjoys the material. Yeah. And... It's like watching like a really virtuosic musical performance, like hearing him like go through all the different characters, like he's having con- conversations, like there'll be a McLaughlin group. Issue 1. In the book where three or four characters are having conversations and he's like remembering what the different voices are and like going back and forth from character to character and it is just so fun to listen to and it's and I I was like I was both amazed and Jealous, but also like a little bit like intimidated by how virtuosic it is. So, uh, he, he, uh, he gets the Edward Larkin from me for this episode.
2: I really can't argue with that nomination. Solid, solid Larkin this time, Ben. Occasionally when you interact with someone as talented as, as Robert is like my, my expectation was like, God, he's so good at this, he's gonna be a total snooze as a person. (laughs) (laughs) Like, because that's how virtuosic people often are. Like, everything is about the craft, and that craft is taken very seriously, and that is their life. And, I mean, Robert Petkov's craft is taken very seriously, but he's also a super fun hang. Yeah, And uh, I love that, I love that that it's possible to, to be that way and be as talented as people like him are so yeah just think uh, that's very inspiring
1: neither of us will ever know what it's like to be super talented but uh, but it, you know it's it's a relief to see that it's a uh, it's possible to be still a super fun hang despite your talent well let's uh, leave it with Robs from here
3: The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica. The show is produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Adam Ragusia. Make sure to go check out his YouTube page. He has some amazing recipes and is doing quite phenomenal work over there. You should know that Ben has a cameo on his channel this week. Hey, if you're looking for more Trek, why don't you discover some episodes in the old back catalog I'm sure you'll find something you enjoy. You can also check out episodes of The Greatest Generation, or you can follow us on other places like Twitch, Instagram, and Twitter under the handles Greatest Trek. The socials are handled by the great Bill Tilly. Thank you, Bill. Keep being an awesome card daddy. Make sure to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or support us at MaximumFun.org slash join thanks for listening we'll see you on the next episode of the greatest discovery
0: yeah well this is why i love bones too god bless it jim i'm a doctor spock what do you want me you know it's like he's so much fun because he's so juicy to do Maximumfun.org. comedy and culture artist owned audience supported